Hey fans, welcome to Coffee with Coach. Today we're on our lanai in Hawaii. And Mike, where are you in Ireland? So, some blurry background. I am not at Alex Mack's wedding today. Uh, I'm not obviously there with George Kittle and uh, all the lads, but there's about 30 NFL players in Dublin tonight, or uh, an undisclosed location. But thanks to everyone, Jeff, for, for tuning in on this uh, Friday night. Well, if anybody in Dublin can disclose or uncover the location of 30 NFL players, it's going to be you. I, what a great picture you put out the other day. George Kittle with a with a Guinness in his hand and a, and, and a foam, foam mustache. He looked like an eight-year-old kid with some chocolate milk. Hey, we are going through an incredible time right now in the National Football League. This has been the wackiest offseason anybody can remember. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm not talking about the Deshaun Watson thing. You can go to you can go to inside the huddle. We we chewed that up as much, as much as you can chew it up. But what I do want to talk about is the free agency thing because we're seeing some teams, I think, doing fantastic in free agency. And the place I want to start is not your Broncos, but I want to go to the Dolphins, who I think have had a really, really good free agency period and Teron Armstead to mm. me is a huge and and I think not only a huge get but a guy that they got probably undervalued I don't I, I didn't think he commanded the type of money that a player of his stature should command he's going to be an instant instant huge not just an upgrade but a huge upgrade for the Dolphins, and then they go out and do what? Trade to get the cheetah. Oof. As a Bronco fan, you should have been celebrating because get him out of your division. Well, first off, obviously for everyone watching this or listening to this, Friday night, this is being recorded on a Thursday, so maybe something has been down. Knowing the NFL, as you said, Jeff, something may have happened because this week has just been crazy. I was... Very surprised. Me and you, me and you are at a different time zone. You're 10 hours uh, behind me. It's about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. It's started, we're started to be whispers of Tyreek Hill leaving Kansas City. And you sort of think, oh, this is going to drag on for a few days here. Jets and Dolphins, you're thinking, no, nah, it'll, it'll not be the Jets or the Dolphins. You, you think someone's going to come into Kansas City, will we'll, we'll bring Tyreek back. And then 4.35 on, on Wednesday, uh, as Adam Schefter reported, uh, five draft picks to the Dolphins. Uh, sorry, five five draft picks to the Chiefs for Tyreek Hill. 2022 first rounder, a second round pick, a fourth round pick, as well as a fourth and sixth round pick in the 2023 draft. Now, that is, I I there's so many different things. First off, from looking at it from Kansas City, what the hell are they at? What are they doing? Like, I, I well, understand that you have a big contract whoa, whoa, whoa. last year, but that is... Well, think about it now. You can't pay them all, right? And so they wanted to bring him back. And once the, once the discussion got past where they were willing to go financially, now you got a, you got a potential problem on your hands, right? So do you want... What are you going to do? How are you going to get him extended? Are you, you know, and do you want to have player who thinks he's worth more than you think he's worth or you can pay him on your football team here's why this is why i i when 
the Jaguars went out and gave Christian Kirk all that money, right? Ridiculous money for, for a good player, not a great player. It upsets everything. And then Devontae Adams gets his deal. Well, if you're Tyreek Hill, you say, hey, I can play with any of those guys, right? So you want your, you want your payday. So the Chiefs look at that and they go, okay, what can we, here's, here's the potential scenarios. We give him his money and upset our, our whole plan. We don't give him his money. And then we have a disgruntled player on our hands, right? Who, who can be a huge pain in the ass or you trade him and get value back. And see, this is where I think teams are starting to figure out. If you're Kansas City, you've got proven talent. Now what you need is young players that are cheaper, right? So that you can keep the Travis Kelseys, the Chris Joneses, the Pat Mahomeses, you know, those guys. But they've lost, the, I think they've lost Pringle and Honey Badger as well. I mean, not Jeff, that's a lot to lose. in it. The fact that they've also put Tyreek to the AFC. Is. Now that one that surprised me that he didn't didn't go to the NFC. But again, he, the the reality of it is that you will the time you have to play him that matters is going to be in the playoffs, right? And are the Dolphins going to be there, right? So I get I get that argument. I do. I really do. But again, here's what I'm here's what I'm saying. When you think about the guys that they have lost, Shakandrick West, they got they've lost some good football players. But on their board, where they got those draft picks, I'm sure they see good young players at those positions. And like I say, that's the problem. That's the challenge when you have a quarterback that gets to his second contract, right? And you know that. I think that I think the Chiefs are handling it in a way they have to handle it. As soon as let's say let's say Tua lights it up for two more years, right? And now all of a sudden the Dolphins have got to go out and give him his payday. Well, the dynamic changes immediately as soon as that happens. So I get it. It's it's the the business of the business, as they say. You know, why did the Falcons get rid of you know? Matt Ryan because they're going to eat a ton of cash but they needed to move him on and give themselves a chance down the road just on the Chiefs on Thursday the Chiefs brought in uh, Marcus Dallas Scatling a three-year 30 million dollar deal worth up to 36 as well and on Thursday we got the first view of oh, Juju Number nine. So they have, they've obviously brought guys in that they feel can, can do it. But I, I don't think they're going to be the, the, the X factor in a heavily stacked AFC West. Look at the Chargers defense. They have to play these guys twice a year. And this, this could be the year that this, this division blows up. I pray. Well, to, it's going to gonna be, it's going to be it, that They're going to play great football every week in that division. Every week. And it's going to be a free-for-all. And who can stay healthy and who can get a break or two? Let me tell you something. Your Broncos made, I think, the steal of day two. The absolute steal of day two. And it's Alex Singleton, the linebacker that they took from Philadelphia. And I'm going to tell you why. 
if you look at the if you look at production, right? And this is a production business, a high performance industry, as Frank Gans used to say. And you look at production per play. I'm talking about number of tackles per snaps played. It he's the best in football. Now, is he the best linebacker in football? I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is you put the kid on the field and all he does is produce over 200 tackles the last two years in Philadelphia. There's not a linebacker in football whose production numbers are higher than Alex Singleton's production numbers. Not, you know, not Darius Leonard, not, not any of them, not, not a single guy. So you get him and you get him at a good cost. That's a huge, huge savings for them and a huge get. Here's the thing. The day one guys is like collecting football cards, right? Everybody knows they're great players, right? And they're going to cost you big money. The problem is when, when you take a day two guy like Christian Kirk and make him a day one guy and pay him big money, now it better work out for you. The teams that do really well in free agency win in the second level with the second level guys. And that's why I think that signing is so good for them. Really, really. And he's a great person. He'll do great in the community. He's everything you want. Yeah, we've we've obviously had Alex on this show. I've had him on the Irish show as well. He's, he's a great guy. And also the Broncos losing Shelby Harris, a real fan favorite. I, I think I actually said it to his agent last week. I think he's going to be a fan favorite at Malahi next year. There's no doubt about it. No, now, he I, a, He'll be a hero in Denver. I jumped off your thing, so I, I apologize. You were talking about Matt Ryan. Just just very quickly, because I know you're a Raiders fan. Uh, Devontae Adams. We haven't spoken since this happened, have we? I, I think... Have. I th- think about it, now. That was, a, that was an area that the Raiders were deficient because they had issues. That, you know, you got the young receiver, all the mess that was going on last year. Here comes a guy who can beat you over the top, but can beat you underneath. He's got all kinds of abilities. You can't, he's, you know, you can double him, but you, we've seen that at least AR can still get him the ball. I think for Carr, this is a huge get. For the Raiders, it's a huge get. The Raiders also went out and helped themselves defensively. They put another pass rusher on the other side of Crosby. So when you talk about, winning in your conference, right? Or your division, you got to beat the teams in your division. Well, you better have some pass rushers in that division now because every week you're out there facing one of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League. One guy that might be at that wedding in Dublin this weekend is Matt Ryan. I, Jeff, I, I love this move for, for him. I think this is, he's played it very well. I Honestly, don't really think it's all fine and good for Arthur Blank, who I've never heard a bad thing about as an owner personally. I mean, you, you, you've been in this game a lot, a lot more time than me, Jeff. But for him to come out a couple of years ago and say that you need a, you need to have a contingency plan, you need to have a succession plan. There's no succession plan in, in Atlanta. Like you can bring in Marcus Mariota for two years, and I understand he's he's a fan of the team, he's he's well respected there and stuff, but. I feel like a guy like Matt Ryan that has done everything for that franchise, everything for that city, and granted, they didn't get him over the line for a Super Bowl. I, I, he really played the high road this week, and I think him and Indy could really take the Titans close 
if you get Julio in, I really think it can happen. Well, I don't know about Julio because I'm not as big a fan of Julio at this point in his career as a lot of people are. Because again, I, I'm, I, as, when you start missing games, as many games as he's missed in the last few years at his age, that's really scary to me. So I do think, and I do agree with you 100% on Matt Ryan, especially about the class factor. That's the way you want guys to handle themselves in, in, a, in a situation where he could have and was asked, you know, numbers of times about leaving Atlanta and he could have blasted them and he didn't. He took the high road class act. He'll that'll play well in Indianapolis. And, you know, when you think about Matt Ryan and you saw enough of Matt Ryan last year with not much around him, really make some plays. I really think this is a genius stroke by Indianapolis. And two weeks ago, I would have said to you, what is Indianapolis doing, right? Because, you know, they, they got rid of their quarterback, who, who they, you know, I mean, it looked like they were just like playing the violin while Rome burned, right? But they had a plan and Chris Ballard went out and, and executed his plan and brought a guy in that, yeah, he might only have a couple years left, but your Super Bowl window is starting to close, right? That's the way it works. And they need a Matt Ryan to come in and, and win for him, win for him from the pocket because last guy couldn't do it. And the guy before that couldn't do it. And the guy before, they've had six starting quarterbacks that haven't been able to do it. And this, I, this, I think, the best chance they've had. We've got loads of questions, which, which we're going to get to in a couple of seconds before we get our guests on, Jeff. Let's just touch on your Twitter account. We, let, let's just address the elephant in the room. Jeff, that is not, well, you're not on Twitter at the moment, no, but we're, we, we are working on it. So in case anyone gets any messages, just ignore them. And it's just a crap situation, but uh, just so people are aware of it. Yeah, I mean, some out there hacked my Twitter account and has been trying to sell and market Bitcoin and all kinds of other things on my Twitter account. Anything that comes, any tweets in all caps and he do, does all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you, I don't endorse Bitcoin. I don't endorse any of those get rich quick scams, none of those things. So anything that's like that, please disregard it, delete it, report it. Anything we can do to get these knuckleheads off the internet, uh, we need to do. And and we've got the cyber police chasing this guy. So we'll we'll get him. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at the NFL so tr- trying to get Jeff's account back. Do you know what, Jeff? Uh, fair, fair play, because I know, I know it's not an easy situation. But ser- seriously, the show goes on. This show will go on, whether it's yeah, not, you're not one get, person. You're not going to get our show off the air just because of you hack into our account. And do you know what the great thing about the community and people that obviously follow you on Twitter? I've put a few tweets out um, today, and the one thing I will say is, do not DM or answer Jeff's DMs, or else the guy will block you. So please don't do that. However, on to the good news again. Loads of people, Jeff, have asked questions, so we got a few minutes here. We'll go through them before we get it. Let's get them. So, uh, right, let's see. Well, first off, because it's because he's popped up, Fred Flunk, who is devastated for you at the minute, has said hello, and he's saying. Um, is it really an arms race in the on the NFL at the minute? Uh, the owners who want to spend money will spend money. The salary cap seems to be a joke. You spend big in a quarterback, and you have to give up give up other weapons. What's your thoughts on the current situation? Obviously, the cap's gonna go up. 
Well, the cap is going to go up because you know we're out of the COVID thing now. And uh, you know, again, the cap is is so important to I think competitive balance in the league. One of the key positions for every organization is your cap specialist, the guy they call the capologist that can figure out how within the rules to spread money around, whether it's deferring signing bonuses, guarantee, you know, it, it's really become maybe more important. And this is crazy for me to say this more important than guys on the coaching staff, because this guy allows you to put a team together. And the NFL is determined that they're going to make sure that every market has a chance that a team like Green Bay that is in a city of 200,000 people can compete against a team like the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys that are in huge metropolises and, and have all, all kinds of access to, to funds. And so I think it's a good thing. Uh, obviously, how you handle it is interesting. And I think as we've said on this show before, Michael, I think that, you know, the Rams have shown us a new way to build a football team. And that's by smart trades, picking up veteran players, proven veteran players, paying them big money, and then building around it as opposed to the old way, which is get a quarterback, then bring in, you know, build around the quarterback. I think the access to a elite quarterback no matter how it happens is the number one thing that you have to do we've seen as i said the, the rams do it and it's worked for them now you've seen the, the broncos trying it you've seen the colts trying it and it's going to continue in that way because it is the most difficult position to evaluate the most toughest jump from college to the pros is at that position and the success rate of first-rate quarterback, first-round quarterbacks, is below 50%. And so, if you want to waste a first-round pick on a guy that may never play for you, I mean, how, how do you think the Jets would like to have Sam Darnold's pick back, or Josh Rosen and for the Cardinals, or any of these guys that have been picked, Mitch Trubisky for the Bears? Well, Mitch, no, you miss on a first-round. You miss on a first-round quarterback. That hurts your that has hurt your organization for years. Pax and Lynch as well. Uh, Amit yeah, I mean, from Ireland is saying, "When is the next uh, lesson again?" So he's got the picture. Hey, I tell you what, I can't. I, I look forward to coming back and doing that again. That was a blast, uh, you know, to be able to come to Croke Park and you know do our show together at, at Croke Park, and then going over to the university and and uh, putting on that clinic. We're going to do more with Ireland because Ireland's you know so so good to us and. It's like our second home. Uh, there's like 20 questions, so we'll try and quick fire some of these. Sean Blundell, who's one of the owners of Full 10 Yards, very light answer here in terms of <laughs> in terms of quantity. Should Browns fans be excited or bold? That's... <laughs> Everybody's going to have to make their own decision about that one. I don't like it. I don't like the way Haslam handled it. I don't like the fact that they hit his money. I don't like anything about the deal um but again i understand it yes alan woods from england saying the jogs appear to be a team hoping to go from nowhere to somewhere after splashing the cash during free agency 
do they have a chance to get anywhere near the playoffs or is it a few years off? I mean, it's hard. I, not think, to, I, I think they're still two or three years away. And I think Doug, Doug will do a good job there. I think they did splash the cash and they made some good choices, but I think they spent too much money on some guys that they really weren't. I mean, they almost negotiating against themselves for some of those guys. Big shout out to Alan Stafford asking for thoughts on Hill going to the Dolphins. Literally started the show off with that there, but it's all good, Alan. Um, Connor, who is from, I think he's from England. Sorry for not Connor. If Brian Flores didn't do what he did, what would, if Brian Flores didn't do what he did, would the Dolphins have made these moves? Oh, here, what an offseason. I don't know. I, I really, I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know the power you know, power structure in, in the, with the Dolphins enough. But I'll tell you what, I really think that Chris Greer has done a really good job. And I think Mike McDaniel's done a good job of identifying the kinds of players he wants in Miami. And, you know, again, I'm really excited to see what that Dolphin offense is going to do. Big shout out to Donick Moorman, Kyle Detroit, and James Toner saying, well, I know you've already said this, but how to give James a shout out. Thoughts on Matt Ryan as the starting quarterback in Indy, expectations for the Colts. What, what's your, do you think, do you think the minimum expectation is wild card for the Colts? Well, the, you know, when we looked at the Colts, go back to the Jacksonville game at the end of the year, where you got to beat a bad football team, right? And they can't do it because their quarterback can't win from the pocket. Now, Matt Ryan, I think, can win from the pocket for you. And that's going to be really, really key. Now they have to finish free agency strong. They have to draft well. They need some weapons yet on offense, I think, outside. They got a great running back, got a great offensive line. Losing Glowinski is going to hurt. But I still think that the Indianapolis Colts are a very good football team. Four-time All-Ireland champion with Kilkenny, Owen Murphy, who's a Ravens fan. Big man in Ireland. They're asking you, is Tua the quarterback to lead the Dolphins? If not, would they go for Jimmy G or Baker? Can I just very quickly say here, because this could all change in the day's time, one of the guys in Florida, Jeff, who reported, was the first guy to report Brady to the Bucks, is reporting tonight that the Bucks and the Dolphins are apparently talking. No way. Like, come on. No? Well, they may be talking, and they probably are talking about play, but I can't see, I in no way could see that they're going to make that move. And now... Let's, let's look at Tua. Let's evaluate Tua. Tua is an accurate thrower. He is a guy that makes good decisions most of the time. He's still a young guy, but still makes good decisions most of the time. Where he is deficient is right now, I, I still am concerned about his injury history and his ability to take the hits that he's been taking. He played behind an awful offensive line, and everybody – bitching that he can't get the ball down the field. Nobody could get the ball down the field. Let's say you've got a receiver outside that's 4'6", right? And now you bring in Tyreek Hill, who's 4'2". Well, let me tell you something. That ball's down. He's down the field a lot faster than anybody else. So he's not going to have to hold on to that football as much, right? And you put him in there with Waddle, and you put him in there with Gasecki, and you put him in there with, you know, the people that they're bringing in, and Armstead, and as they continue to bolster that offensive line, he's going to have to show now it's it's his team. He's had four offensive coordinators since he's come into the league. You can't, I mean, I don't care how consistent the language is and all that other stuff. 
it just doesn't work that way. So the kid's been mistreated, if you will, by the Dolphins in a lot of ways. And so hopefully McDaniel will put in a system that will get the best out of it. Here's my bold prediction. I don't think two is a starting quarterback week one. I don't think he is. Well, that is, I tell you what, that is a bold one because who is it? Who's it going to be? Teddy. These guys in the draft. Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> ah, get out of here. You saw that, you saw that movie in Denver. I want to just, because I've got one more question. I'm going to give a shout out to everyone's asked. Jer, Rusty McKeever, two Green Browns, um, Owen, um, Mikey, Aaron, Kalen, Chris, Joe, David, Kenneth, Nick, Greg, BK, JJ, Laurie. I've got one question, and we will get more questions in the next week, folks. Thanks a million for, for asking the questions as well. Raider Lee is saying, uh, who's, who's from England, given only six of the 17 regular season games are against divisional opponents in the past, it was eight. Should divisional position be dropped for seeding instead? Seeding be just a normal win-loss draw record? Hope that makes sense. So sort of taking the seeding out of it. No, I, I understand. I understand what he's saying, and and there is some credence to that because if if you only play six games in your division, then why would six games out of seventeen determine so much about your seating? Um, there is some talk in football circles with people saying it should be your conference that your conference schedule, your conference record that determines seeding or your overall record. But I think right now what they're doing, I think it puts more emphasis on those divisional games. And, you know, you think about it, let's, let's, let's stay with, you know, AFC West. You're talking about historic rivalries, Chiefs Broncos, Chiefs Raiders, Raiders Chargers. I mean, those are, those are big, big games. Now you add on top of it the fact that they mean so much in terms of playoff seeding, it makes those makes those big rival games even more tasty. Right. So we've got two interviews coming up. First one, obviously, we've got Ollie coming on in the wee second. You've got a coach from a from a college on today, Jeff, as well. Yep. Timmy Chang from the University of Hawaii is going to come on and he's going to talk about his program. Timmy uh, was a tremendous player at Hawaii set the NCAA record for uh, passing yardage in a career, threw for over 170 touchdowns, 17,000 passing yards. And then uh, after, he, after his prof professional career was over, he got into coaching and just recently was hired as the head coach at the University of Hawaii. And we had a great chance to sit down and talk football with him and his plan for building the Hawaii program back to what it was when 2007 when we finished undefeated and were a BCS buster and played Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Before we have him on, great, great interview as well. Thanks so much for coming on. We've got Ollie from Pro Football Network coming on today, talking a bit more ahead of the draft. Free Ryan Bowl. Let's get Jeff's Twitter account back. And here is Ollie <laughs> with his positions for the next round of the draft. Ollie, it's great to have you back on the show. Welcome, and, uh, you know, I'm out on the lanai, and where are you exactly as we film this? 
you well you're again every week without fail your background fail you know absolutely blows mine out of the water i'm sat in my bedroom in a house in the middle of derbyshire which is beautiful countryside outside if it wasn't pitch black at half past 10 at night um but it's uh, yeah it doesn't matter what i had behind me we've got a bit of laundry going on again today it's never going to be as nice as the as the backdrop for you jeff let's be honest Hey, I've been watching your stuff as you've uh, reviewed some of the pro days for these guys as they get closer and closer to the draft. Well, how much, because this is an interesting one. I'm going to throw this on you. How much of the hype video that Malik Jackson's, or I'm sorry, Malik Willis's pro day became, are you buying and how much are you selling? Well, pro, pro days, kind of like the combine. Um, it's all uh, it's all a piece of the jigsaw, um, but the, ultimately, um, the 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 tape is the tale of most of it. You know, you're not going to throw on the air. You're not going to throw on air in the NFL. It's, it's become almost um, the pro day throw that Malik Willis made. But that I, it does show it does show the legitimacy of his arm strength. I think that's one of the key things that you take away from from Malik Willis's pro day, from his uh, combine performance, from his senior bowl performance. The legitimacy of that kid's NFL caliber arm strength—you cannot deny that. Um, so there's a lot of hype. Malik, you know, people people will dissect pro days, will dissect the combine. What I just thought was great was footballs are fun sport right you're you're supposed to have fun playing sport and Malik Willis is a fun guy to watch do what whatever he does whether it's his pro day whether he's playing for Liberty whether it was you know the small amount of time that he spent at Auburn the, the kid's fun to watch play football and, and I, I kind of feel like we spend a lot of time chopping kids down I think you should be celebrated when a kid can go out there and have fun and just show what show that cannon he's got for an arm. So I, I don't think it adjusts his stock any. I just thought it was really fun to see. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting. I, I, I came away from that the same way. I thought it was, you know, again, I, I always got to remind myself, it's the combine, it's pro day, it's, you know. But I did, I thought he's got a 100-watt smile and, you know, he – he obviously has some charisma, which are all that's all part of it. And when you're talking about quarterbacks in particular, and it was interesting that the, the Steelers took him out to dinner the night before. And um, I got to I got to tell the guy, I, somebody better get with Malik and talk to him. Say, when you get free meals, don't be eating chicken wings. You ought to be eating. Filet <laughs> <meat on. laughs> hey, hey, Mike, talk about <laughs> Mike Tomlin was eating for dinner and he ate chicken wings. <laughs> Mike Tomlin was eating chicken wings, though. That's what Malik Willis was so he was like, oh my God, Mike Tomlin's the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this guy's out here eating chicken wings. And he was like, Well, this, I'll tell you what, the Steelers are very enamored with Malik Willis. Very enamored. Well, that's gonna that's gonna be an interesting one because you know, they may have to use a first round pick to get him if they're if they're gonna get him. They're, if if they want him, they're gonna have to trade up because I, I don't yeah. I, I don't see a way he falls past Seattle at nine. I don't think it's coincidental that Seattle traded Russell Wilson when they did to the team that they did to get the pick that they did. I think the Seattle Seahawks were all in on Malik Willis and they, they might not Here even be high enough up. Here we go again. Now we're talking Here about we go the again. first at least three first-round quarterbacks because I think 
uh, you know, Pickett will be a first rounder and I think Coral will be a first rounder. So, you know, and, and somebody else might sneak their way in there too. You know, I, it's just amazing to me with the six, you look at the fail rate, the success fail rate of first round quarterbacks, and we keep pushing them into the first round. Some of them where they probably don't belong, but that's, that's not your job. Our job is to evaluate, <laughs> not to draft them. So let's talk about exactly. the, and I want to start. All right. I want to start, you know, at a place that has kind of fallen off a little bit last couple of years and that's Virginia tech. But for people that don't re recognize Virginia tech has a history of putting players in the national football league and having success with national football league players. And Lasita Smith is a pretty doggone good place to start. I absolutely love Lasita Smith. And you're right, Virginia Tech has been a, a producer of NFL time. You look at Christian Darasaw last year from Virginia Tech, first round pick um, out of the Hokies. Um, I love Lasita Smith. He is, let's start with experience, because what you need more than anything on an, on an NFL line is a kid who's got plenty of experience behind him. And Lysia Smith's 37 game start for the Hokies. Um, you're real. You, you said to me last week, bring me some, bring me some hog mollies. Well, Lysia Smith, they don't get much Morlier. If that's a real word, I'm not convinced Morley is a real word, but he's a, he's a real Mauler. Uh, prize open running games with absolute savagery. You watch um, you watch the first game of the season, Virginia Tech versus North Carolina, when the Hokies shocked uh, the Tar Heels in the season opener. Lucita Smith was absolutely giving that running game just acres, acres to run in. Absolute acres. Real violent hands, real powerful punch. Excellent play strength as well. Um, so real real um, animal in the ground game. Intelligent um, as well, which is what you, again, what you need as you move up to the NFL level. You need to be able to understand all the defensive fronts that you're going against, all the varying alignments and how they'll try and disguise them. Picking up stunts, picking up twists. He's, he's a guy who can do all that. Now, he's not as athletic as some of these interior offensive linemen that we're going to talk about. Um, but he's he's a mauler. He's strong, powerful, violent, and and that's kind of not a bad place to start with my fifth ranked interior offensive lineman. Let me ask you about let me ask you about him in terms of you remember when uh, the Giants a couple of year, years ago took Hernandez out of Utah, right? Yeah. The guard, and I thought it was kind of the same kind of player, big, physical, nasty, you know great run blocker and he struggled struggled with the giants in the in pass pro how 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 good a pass pro guy is this because i'm a, i agree with you I, I love him i love him in the run game i didn't watch enough of the tape to see him against elite pass rushers how do you hold up you know you think inside as a guard you know in the national football league against some of those three techniques that can really rush I do think there is um, potentially some issues there. Um, and this is a, an argument we're going to get dragged into at this time of year. He has got significantly shorter arms, uh, 31 inch, just uh, just over 31 and a half inch arms. So there are some issues in press, pass protection there. Um, the solid anchor, you know, he's got that lower body strength um, as, a, as a pass protector, but the arms, 
the arm size do, do causing some problems. Um, and we're going to talk about this with, with a couple of these guys where, you know, in past protect, he's having to lunge, get the weight over the body, unbalanced, uh, weight over the toe, should I say, unbalanced. And that does cause you some issues in pass protection that, that don't, excuse me don't uh, don't show up as uh, as a, a run blocker uh, quite so much so that is certainly an area uh, of improvement i would definitely say is he's a substantially better run blocker than he is pass protected uh, but for teams that, that like to run the rock you stick with Cedar to smith in there open up some holes you're gonna you're gonna be able to ground and pad all day long all right who's your number four guy so number four guy and this might be a contentious issue because my number four guy is sean ryan out of UCLA. And now this kid is a tackle by trade. He's a left tackle, been a left tackle for UCLA. Um, but again, the arm, the arm issue. Um, the NFL requisite for people who, who don't know whether you believe it or not, whether it matters or not, 33-inch arms, anything, little, anything below that, there are some NFL teams that will wipe you straight off their board as an offensive tackle. Straight up, straight up. So there is some issues from Sean Ryan's um, college tape at tackle that he's simply not going to be able to eradicate eradicate at the NFL level. But I think when you move him inside, strong, powerful, impactful, potent punch, lower body strength to anchor well. You, we talked about the anchor with Lasita Smith. Sean Ryan's got a great anchor as a pass protector. Um, he showcased sort of decent explosive ability. Um, in terms of um, being able to get out to the next level, being able to get an attack at the point of attack as well. Um, that was that was um, evidenced at the combine, really good explosive numbers in the broad and the vert jump at the combine. A limited athlete in terms of, um, of speed. So in terms of being able to, we're going to talk about a real athlete in terms of speed right at the top of this thing. Um, so he's, he's a little limited with speed, a little limited with the arm length in terms of how he can um, walk walk faster pass rushes around the outside track, how he can react and respond um, when moves, counter moves are, are put in his way. Um, but yeah, real strong guy who I think can make the, tr the transition inside as a day two um, offensive guard prospect. You know, I think it, it's interesting that I agree about his, when you, when you project him as a tackle and then, push him inside as long as those guys have the ability to anchor once they go inside because the you know the rush angles are different but having played on the edge it's easier to go from the edge to inside than it is to go from inside to the edge and that does give him a chance and you know you, you look at the numbers and I again you know how I am I'm a I'm a film first number second kind of guy, but there are some numbers that say he should be able to make that transition. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you look at, um, you look at his, um, you, you know, you mentioned the anchor. He can, he can anchor there. He's a big guy, stout, you know, six, just shy of six foot, four and a half, just over six foot and a half, four and a half, should I say, 321 pounds. Um, Big old hands, you know, 11, 11, one, one eighth, I think his hands are as well. And that you see that in his, um, his, his punch, his, his very real potent, powerful, impactful punch. Um, that just you can just it's going to shock some guys on the interior when he lands that punch. And he, he, you know, he's technically he's got a lot going for him as well. There's a lot of technical refinement to his game. So I think he can, I think he can make that switch inside. 
All right, now your number three guy comes to the SEC, which to me has the is the if, if I'm looking for an offensive lineman, I want to see a guy from the SEC because you know those guys they play against the best pass rushers, particularly inside pass rushers in college football. Yeah, and we've talked about the anchor with Lasita Smith and the anchor with Sean Ryan. I don't believe that there is on his day a kid who has a better anchor than Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M. I've routinely put in scouting reports, mock drafts, anything that I write about Kenyon Green. This kid could anchor a yacht in a tornado. That's that's how you know immovable he is when he gets set. Um, played left guard, right guard, dallied with offensive tackle. This was one of the things coming into this year. Kenyon Green was expected to make the leap outside to tackle for Texas A&M. And that really kind of ballied his stock coming into the year. It was like, this kid could probably be a top 10 pick if he makes that transition to tackle really well. But Texas A&M haven't had the, the same level of success this year. Green's been moved you know, from pillar to post, left to right to bookend, you know, you name it, he's, he's been slotted in there. And while it's great to have that versatility, you also want to be able to have that consistency uh, as, as a prospect. You know, he excelled at left guard and right guard in 2019 as a freshman. 2020, the, the Texas A&M offensive line was the finalist for the Joe Moore Award as the, the best offensive line in college allowed less than a sack per game, 0.7 sacks per game, less than, you know, fewest in the country. And Kenyon Green was a huge, huge part of that. And the anchor, the athleticism, the ability to pull and just absolutely knock a guy to the floor as a, as a pulling guard, um, just phenomenal, um, phenomenal. But he's, the transition to tackle, he hasn't been able to, to, to make this year. So I think he's an, he's an elite, potentially elite guard prospect who... Uh, like a lot of Texas A&M pro, uh, prospects have struggled through the pre-draft process. You know, we've seen the Texas A&M Pro Day this week. Um, we talked about Jalen Widemeyer on this show as, you know, a guy who looked a little soft in the body, and that's what Kenny Green looked at at the NFL Combine. He didn't look, he didn't look the firm, chiselled guy that, you know, he looked with any... Before the season, I was like, this kid's got no wasted weight on him whatsoever. But at the combine, he looked a little like he was carrying some some excess weight. Yeah. And and I, I do think, you know, you want to see this kid fully in shape when he gets into an NFL camp. Otherwise, the, the potential for him to, to never really fully um, realise his uh, potential is there. But I think when he gets in an NFL camp, there's going to be, you know, there's no prisoners in that in that arena you know, I, I, I tell you, I agree with everything you said about him. The thing that the only concern, and I think his stock probably took a hit a little bit because he had to play tackle and shouldn't have if in his, you know, just talking about in his self-interest, right? It would have been, you know, another year to sit at guard and, you know, and, and I think that would have helped him in terms of his grade. But what the, the so I'm less concerned about that than I am about the fact that you know, when a kid gets fleshy in the draft process, I'm concerned because it usually doesn't help when you put a million dollars in their pocket, you know, yeah. stop from, you know, hitting the Popeyes on the way home from practice every day for a 
bucket of chicken or whatever they do. But I think that's one of the things people are going to look at with this kid. But I agree with you, boy. If you want to, you know, you want a stout dude inside that can get out on the edge and you know give you some stuff. He's uh, he, he's. I don't I don't know where to put him. I, I somewhere in the first half of the second round, I think. You what what's your grade on him right now? Yeah, I think you're you're pretty much spot on. I think um, probably early second round. I think um, for a kid who started the season as a top ten prospect, I think you're looking at maybe a team takes a flyer on him late in the first, uh, but I think it's it's early second, um, around sort of 30, 34, 35 potentially. Uh, but obviously, that day, yeah, that pro day is going to be big. Hey, let's talk about the kid up in Boston College, which is a school that they they crank out some offensive linemen now. Yeah, and they've got an underrated center in this class as well, Alec Lindstrom, whose brother is obviously already in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. But Zion Johnson is a kid who is the complete opposite of Kenyon Green in a lot of respects. Um, kid who started his college career at, at Davidson, wasn't sure whether he'd play football. He was a um, he played a lot of golf, played a little football, wasn't sure he was going to make it, and uh, went to Davidson in the Pioneer Football League balled out in their triple option offense, came to Boston College, played under Steve Adazio and then under um, um, oh, for, uh, Jeff Hafley. I was struggling to remember his name there. Um, under Jeff Hafley at Boston College. And he's just he's just flourished. He's bloomed. He's a, a kid who um, is a guard by trade, but he's played left tackle out of necessity in 2020. He went um, back to left tackle for a game in 2021 where he looked night and day better than he did there full-time in 2020. So you're looking at a kid who stout is a great word for him, just just over six, two and a half, 314 pounds, 30, just nearly 34-inch arms. He's strong, he's athletic, he's powerful. He's long enough to get the job done. He's schematically and positionally versatile. You know, we've talked about triple option that he played at Davidson, power run that he played under Steve Adazio, some more um, passing-centric themes since Jeff Hafley's been the coach at Boston College. He's got pretty much every box ticked, and he's ticking every box as he goes through this NFL draft process. Ace the senior ball. You know, we saw him standing out there in the rain, taking snaps at centre, proving his versatility. Awesome performance at the Combine in terms of his athletic testing. Boston College's pro day is tomorrow, or today if this is going out tomorrow, 25th of March. And I expect him, you know, there's going to be a full house of NFL teams out there looking at a kid who could go potentially middle of the first round. Yeah, and i tell you what, too, uh, give the kid a bonus for intelligence because you don't get into Davidson and Boston College and, and survive and academically unless you, you can process information. So I think that I like that kid an awful lot, but I really, really like your number one because he is he's special. I think he's special as well. He's going to get knocked for being a little undersized by NFL standards, but who cares when you can wrestle like this kid can wrestle. He's, uh, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa, the center, 6'3", 289 pounds, just over 290 pounds, I think he he, he measured in most recently. He's, um, you mentioned the word special. He's a special athlete who, from a center position, is extremely adept. 
at getting out to the next level in the run game. His running back tested 4.42 in the 40-yard dash at the combine. And you watched Iowa, you watched Tyler Linderbaum going toe-to-toe with Tyler Goodson down the field for Iowa. It is a sight to behold. He's strong for his size. He's extremely strong. Mentioned the wrestling background. Gives him a real innate understanding of leverage and how to use that to um, to just manipulate and maul. Um, you, if you search out there on um, on Twitter, you'll find a, a video of Tyler Linderbaum beating the living daylights out of Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle out of uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as a as a high school wrestler. This kid is, you know, he's he's special. Former defensive line prospect, so he's got that the knowledge from playing defensive football. And he knows then how to win as an offensive lineman. And I've had the opportunity to speak to a couple of guys in this process who have, have made similar transitions from the defensive to offensive side and, and how you then go about using that knowledge to manipulate your opponent because you know what you would do as a defensive person, so you know what not to do as an offensive lineman. I think Tyler Linderbaum is probably going to be a victim of um, positional value. We saw it last year with Creed Humphrey as he came out of Oklahoma, what happened with him. Um, so he may be a victim of positional value in terms of where he lands in the draft, but wherever he does land, a team are going to get an absolute bargain, I think. No question. And I'm going to tell you something. You play for Kirk Ferentz, who is a tremendous football coach and was a great offensive line coach, actually coached for Belichick as an offensive lineman, as an offensive line coach, has a son that played offensive line in the National Football League. Those Iowa offensive linemen now, Hilgenberg, you go back, they've had guys now, a ton of them gone to the league. And the transition is so much easier because of the offense that they run and the techniques that they're taught. I I think this kid's a no-miss guy. And you're right. He may not be a first-round guy, but I would not be surprised if he's a first-round pick at all because I really think he's going to be a plug-and-play guy. And I hate that term. But I really do believe that he's going to be a first-day starter next fall Somebody, you know, with somebody. And I think the scary thing is about that is he hasn't even reached the peak of his potential yet, not even remotely. He's, he's relatively inexperienced at the position, so he's, he's only going to get better and better and better. Well, Ali, as always, you hit a home run, and now we're going to move to the guys that make the money in the offensive line and that's the tackles because we've just seen what happens with uh you know free agency everybody's trying to find tackles everybody's trying to find tackles and and uh so it's going to be fun to see you stack your top five and and uh what's what's happening over at pro football network what are you guys doing that that our fans can plug into so you can catch more on the draft and what you guys do with pro football network so we are interviewing loads of draft prospects. We've got interview series with with some of the the best you know best players out there. Trey McBride, tight end, one of the best tight ends in the class. We sat down with him. The NFL draft guide, which we've plugged about forty seven times already on this show in the last three or four weeks, and we'll plug it again some more. And we're gonna keep and we're gonna keep talking about it because it's <laughs> worth it. Because if you love the draft, you gotta get that. You know, it will give you. Uh, you know, when you guys sit and watch the draft, it'll it'll give you way, way, way more information than you're going to get off of YouTube or NFL Network or any of those places. Yeah, we've got um, we've got some guys doing the rounds of the pro days as well. So we've had two guys out at Penn State today watching Jahan Dotson, uh, Rashid Walker, Arnold Levicady, 
Jesse Lucchetta, Tariq Castro-Fields. We had pl plenty of plenty of Penn State prospects coming through this draft process. So yeah, we've, we're we're going to be providing coverage from every angle of the 2022 NFL draft. Well, Ali, I appreciate it, and always as our draft guru, it's awesome to have you on the show. We'll talk offensive tackles next week, and then we'll move over to the dark side after that and see what we got going. Uh, on the defensive side, but we're gonna get we're gonna hit every position as we go through the draft. Ollie's gonna stack our his top five at every position, and then we're gonna come back the week before the draft with Ollie's big board, and we're gonna go who the guys we think are gonna be first round draft choices in the National Football League. Looking forward to it. Hey fans, welcome to the college football segment. We're excited today to have the new head football coach at the University of Hawaii, Tim Chang, on with us. And I'm just going to give you a little background on Timmy. Timmy uh, played his high school football at the high school powerhouse St. Louis on the island of Oahu. Made a decision to stay home. He could have played anywhere in America. He had a great high school career. Could have played anywhere in America, made the decision to stay at home and play for the University of Hawaii. While he was a player at Hawaii, he, and now these are actual numbers. This is not this is not uh, Madden we're talking about here. This is this is your actual numbers. Seventeen thousand yards he threw for over a hundred and seventy touchdowns at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Timmy, welcome to the show. Oh, appreciate you having me, Jeff. Now, tell me something. When you were, and, and, and we're going to cover a lot of ground in this show, right? You are now the head coach of a program that is really, really got a lot of great history. Some great football players have come through the University of Hawaii. And now for you to come home, you know, for you to come back to where you grew up and where you, you know, made your name as a player, before starting a career in the, in the National Football League and the Canadian Football League. Tell me what it's like to be home and the head coach at the University of White. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling. You know, it, I, it hasn't hit me yet because, you know, as, as soon as I, I, um, I accepted this job, you know, I've, I've been hitting the ground running and, and, and putting the foundation down and, and there's so much things to get done. But uh, it, it's really amazing, and it's um, it, it's so nice to be back home with family and friends and, and the people of Hawaii. Um, my kids get to grow up here, and and I, I get to watch them enjoy this place as I did as a child. Um, and, and the joy that it brings me, and, and now bring, being back at my alma mater where it all happened for me, um, you know, that's all I know. I, 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 I was coached by great people. And um, I was uh, put around by by other great players, and and now I, I get a chance to build it just the way just the way it was then. Okay, now again, so that the fans have a sense of your history, your your story. Uh, when you played at Hawaii, you played for June Jones in the run and shoot. You went off to the, the Arizona Cardinals, then to the Detroit Lions, Philadelphia Eagles. Had a stint in NFL Europe with the Rhine Fire and then began your coaching career after you retired out of the Canadian Football League. All of those football experiences, how have they how have they molded you? What are the what are the takeaways from that vagabond existence that a professional athlete goes through? 
You know, it, it, we were a little bit before the time, um, you know, and, and, and being in shotgun all the time. And, and the spread quarterback was, you know, when I first came out, there were really only two, two teams that did it. It was uh, Mike Leach at Texas Tech and, and June Jones at, at Hawaii. And what that made me realize is that, um, you know, when I came out, I, there was like a knock on me that I was always in shotgun. And, you know, this guy's always in shotgun. He's always in shotgun. Well, when I was at St. Louis, we ran the same system, but we're underneath the center. And, and June one day kind of just put me in shotgun and said, hey, we're going to do everything from shotgun. And, um, and so that's what happened. And, and through the process of those, you know, those four or five years, um, you know, I just I just kind of I just kind of realized that, you know, right now um, people are kind of catching up to the spread game. And so it kind of played my hand perfectly into becoming a coach, because, you know, if I know all this spread stuff and especially with the run and shoot offense, um, it, 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 it's an advantage in my opinion, uh, knowing, knowing how to read coverages, knowing how to, uh, get receivers to adjust and, and do those type of things. And so, um, it, 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 put me right into the coaching profession where I was able to, um, implement a lot of those details in, in, in where I've been so far. Timmy, when you got into coaching, you were a graduate assistant at SMU. Then you became the offensive coordinator at Jackson state, which is a historic HBCU program. One of the best in, in the country. Um, you found your way out to Nevada uh, where you worked with Jay Norvell and then on to Colorado state, um, you know, through all of that and all of the football, how have you kind of morphed the run and shoot or, you know, because we talked the other day and you were talking about incorporating the, in the run game, the multiple tight end sets, the RPO game, all of that. Yeah. You know, what I, what I found out is that, um, you know, the, you know, staying staying in the four receiver set. You know, um, and and you know the the thing the thing about the run and shoot uh, four receiver set is that it you got to try to find a run game added on to the element of it, um, and, and try to keep a balance in some form of way. You know, in my journey, I got into different sets. I got around different people, different styles of offenses, and it kind of just morphed my mind. But but the but the foundation has always been run and shoot, and and reading coverages and and understanding how the back end fits. Now, um, I, you know. When I was in my time in Nevada, you know, I wanted I volunteered to coach coach tight ends and and wanted to understand the run game and be how an extended tackle basically um, performs on this line, on the line of scrimmage, but also can move him on to and be and be a slot like a slot receiver or wideout, and um, and that just kind of helped my game um, and knowledge of of how we could fit running running the football in to a to a really predominant passing game. Okay, now we go back in history and all the way back to Mouse Davis. And when he was at Portland State, the run and shoot was a, was a way to move the football with, quote, inferior talent or smaller guys, or I don't care how you, you say it. Basically, you could beat people that you wouldn't be able to line up in the I formation and beat. And while you were at Hawaii, you guys had some huge wins. Hawaii is a program that's, you know, beat every uh, every Power Five conference in games. You beat Alabama, you beat Cal, you beat Washington uh, do you think that that's going to be a, a key factor for you as you go forward and turn try and turn the program at Hawaii? Yeah, I think I think every every program has its niche, you know. And, and Hawaii's no different, you know. You look at the programs like Iowa, you know, they're built on running the football, playing big, running power in there, um, throwing the ball to one on one matchups outside. Um, you, you look at certain teams and and, and certain conferences and, and certain teams, they're just built a certain way. 
and no different is Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii is, um, you know, I've seen two successful offenses. One was the the option and, and the wing uh, um, with um, with Paul Johnson and Bob Wagner. And then the other offense was uh, Drew Jones and the run and shoot in some form of it. And um, and, and so, you know, Nick Rolovich and, and, and his staff, you know, played to the run and shoot and, and was high and very successful. And uh, and we'll we'll do the same in, in playing to the run and shoot and and, and spreading guys out. Um, you know, now we have uh, you know, there you know, the game keeps evolving where you can you can make guys come and play the box a little bit more and uh, and, and keep guys honest and, and, and then when they're really honest you gotta win your one on one matchups outside and, and, and put guys in a bind. But um but I think I think the style and the base of of, of of having the background of a spread run and shoot system uh, is where we, we are. But, uh, but, but, you know, I, I've hired some really good guys on staff. And so we're just kind of concocting something, something pretty, I think, special here. You know, Timmy, when you were a high school player and you faced with the decision, do I go to Cal? Do I go to any of the big schools that were recruiting you at the time? I say big schools, I'm talking about power, power five conference schools. You made a tough decision and one that was really, I think, a program turner for June in that you were the the big name local kid who stayed home. How are you going to go about the recruiting process now to get the young guys to make the same decision that you made? You know, it's all it's it, it's 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 what you just said. I mean, I, I need the big name guys to stay home. I mean, Hawaii is rich in talent. There's no secret now. You know, the, the words out that. There's a lot of great athletes. There's a lot of great football players, you know, not just, you know, um, worldwide talented athletes, but football players are bred in Hawaii and these Pacific Islands. And so it's important in that, you know, what I'm selling here at the university and I'm selling life after football and these other things, the developmental programs, um, you know, is the, the kids can look at my story and be like, hey, you know, coach had these opportunities to go away. You know, he chose to stay home, represent the state, defend the state and play against all these big conferences and big names. And and, you know, and we held our ground with a lot of them. And, you know, it was fun doing it. You know, you can get to the NFL right from here. I have a lot of teammates that are on the walls and, 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 and have been, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine year NFL vets. And you can do it right from here. And so, you know, the, the dreams and aspirations are all still here. But, you know, like you're looking at my your background and my background, you're doing it in paradise all year round. I mean, this is March. But if you came in here in December, January, it looked the same way. These leaves ain't turning no color. And so uh, you're doing it. You're doing it right at home and and, and, and the place that's, uh, you know, a special place. Right. It's not just the weather, but more so the people, you know, the culture, the identity. Um, those are things that me and you can um can relate to and, and and it makes this place unique makes this place special and um and 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 there's something about that aloha spirit and that love well i it was interesting as i as i watched you put your staff together and and as a first-time head coach that's probably the most pr- critical thing you're going to do particularly in your first year is those are the guys that are going to you know send your message and reinforce your message with the players every day i noticed that a number of guys are guys that have either played or have some connection to you. Coach Sheffield was with you both at Nevada and Colorado State. Chris Brown, who was a very successful high school coach at Bishop Gorman, had played at UH. I actually coached Chris in the, in the East-West Shrine game once upon a time. Nate Alawa, who was drafted by the Eagles, was a great running back you know, at Hawaii. 
So you've gone out and brought guys back to Hawaii. Talk about the reason for that and why you feel that's important. You know, it's a special connection. You know, the, the you know, to it's, it's, and, and the staff is a good mix. You know, um, you know, some of these guys have either, like you said, been um, either played here. Um, some guys were born here and, and went on their journey along the way. And now they're coming back to the islands and that's special. Um, some guys have not even been here, but I've had a previous relationship with these guys. You know, the, the biggest thing for me is kind of getting very like-minded people on the same page to accomplish these goals as, as we're going to ask these kids to do. You know, we're all on the same page. We're all going in the same direction. And and we want to make sure that we're, we what we say together and stand for together is going to get communicated to these kids because these kids are everything. And so, um, you know, I love our staff. I love our staff. You know, and, and a lot of these guys that do have, have Hawaii ties um, understand the culture, understand the people, because we're going we're gonna to recruit these Pacific Islands hard and we're going to put a big circle on these eight islands and we're going to try to keep as much kids as we can home. And so that's the biggest thing in, in, in putting together the staff. But also, you know, the, the guys that are not from here are, and, and, are, and, are, and I felt in my heart that I, I, I got along with and, and, and wanted them to be here. Um, you know, they're, they're embracing the culture, they're embracing the lifestyle, they're embracing this place and this, and this program and the people. And so it, it's, it's, it's making for a really good, unique mesh of guys that I think is, I think are really special. You know, Hawaii is a place that has never backed down, has never scheduled soft. You look at the, you through history, like I say, you've beaten Nebraska, you've beaten Oklahoma, I mean, excuse me, beaten Alabama, beaten Oregon State, beaten Washington. Um, you look at next year, you go to play in front of 105,000 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the home of the University of Michigan. What, what's, what's the philosophy behind going and playing those kinds of games when you're out at school like Hawaii? Well, I, I think you got to get out and you got to branch out and you got to, you know, there's a give and take with these things, right? We, we want, we want to attract really good teams to come to Hawaii and play, but also we're going to have to go on the road and play at their house as well. And so, um, you know, these are one of these years that, Hey, we're going to go on the road and, uh, and play in the big house. And, um, and, and my, and my guys are up to the challenge. I mean, when we talk about it, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, what we're training for and what we're doing and why we lift the weights, why we wake, why we wake up early, why we do those sacrifices. It's because you're playing those big games, you know, and you want to get, you want to get on the big stage. You know, we had these guys sign up for goal sheets, and and, and they we we've asked them, like, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you what what's your goal? You know, after you play college, well, a lot of these guys want to go to NFL. Well, no better way to test yourself than some of the best, you know, some of the best uh, players in the country, and, and 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 show what you can do. Now, this week you begin spring practice, and and you're going to practice uh, three times a week, and then culminate with a spring game. Share with the fans, if you will, Tim, what your philosophy is for what you want to accomplish in your first spring practice and then what you're going to do with the game, because I think it's I think it's absolute genius. I think what you're doing is really, really cool. Well, what the practice is, is really just trying to get better. Right. We're, we're in evaluation period where we got to know what our roster looks like. And so we can go know we can go figure out our needs and what to get. Um, I really want you know, these guys to dial in on the, on the fundamentals and techniques of what we're asking them to do uh, offensively, defensively, and special teams. Um, and just really 
harp on those things. You're building a new culture. You're building a new understanding. You're building a standard of where and setting the bar of where things need to be. And so right now, it, it's it's so important that, you know, these 15 practices, you know, we get to get better every day. You know, I want guys in there watching themselves. We're getting film out there. We're getting a lot of reps. We're going to practice long hours. And so um, all those things will help us build. And, and so in summer, we get to hear it again. Training camp, we get to hear it again. And August 27th, we get this thing humming with Vanderbilt coming down here. Um, the spring game, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, we get a, you know, a unique opportunity. I've never gotten to play on campus. You know, we've always gone to Halaba to play in Aloha Stadium where they play the Pro Bowl and so many other um, events. But, uh, you know, right now, it, you know, last year was the first time they, they, they played there. Uh, COVID kind of had a little bit of setback. But this spring game is really a, a tryout for what I want what I want our season environment to be. You know, right now we can put a, we're looking at putting 15,000 inside the stadium. But really, I want 10,000 outside the stadium, you know, enjoying the festivities and, and, and making this place uh, a wild atmosphere and hard for opponents to come in and win. You know, we're you know, we're going to have the traditional what people in Hawaii would love to tailgate and, and, and barbecue and things. Well, we can't really barbecue down there at lower campus where we're, where we're having the game. But what we can do is open up vendors, open up the open up a softball stadium or a baseball stadium or the basketball arena. And then we can have vendors and, and live entertainment in there. And so we get the fan interaction. We can have a kid zone. And, and, and Hawaii has some of the best food, like you know, Jeff. And we, we, you come on the island, you got to try to keep the pounds off. And so, you know, it's uh, maybe, get, you know, we're going to have good food. We're going to have uh, uh, beer gardens and live entertainment and just make it a real fun environment and then funnel everybody that, can, that has a ticket into that arena and just make that thing as wild as possible. You know, I, I, I tell them I want to see the confetti on the ground. I want to see the newspaper shredding, flying all over the field. And so, um, you know, we're going to have some fun. And we'll, we'll test it out as, at, at our spring game. Timmy, what's the long game for you? Now, I, again, if you look five years down the road and you've established your program, where do you want to be and where, where do you feel like you want to take this? I know you mentioned facilities as an issue, but – for you as the head coach, as you make your long-term plan, where do you want to see your program in five years? Yeah, I, I think in five years we we want to be we want to be a team where um, you know when you circle it, when you look on the schedule and you have us, you know you know you're gonna have to strap it up a, a, an extra tighter. You might have to bite down on that mouthpiece a, a little bit more. And so you know we want to be competitive. Uh, we want to win championships. You know we want to bring a home a championship here in five years. Um, you know, I might have if, if, if we're doing that, I might have the unique situation of, uh, of being here on a new stadium being built and a new facility being built in somewhere in the future. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm in this thing for the long haul. And, uh, you know, I, I love this place. I love this island. Uh, Hawaii has my heart and it's my home. Well, Timmy, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day as a first time head coach. I know getting ready for spring practice to spend. 20 minutes with us is really a blessing. Thank you again. And again, for fans, watch Hawaii football this year on the internet, on you know college football today. You will see that this is going to be a team to be reckoned with, not only in the Mountain West Conference, but in the nation under Timmy Chang. Right on. Aloha, my guy. All right. Take care, Timmy. Aloha. And again, that's Tim Chang, head coach of the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors.